But so just four things to start off with, four benefits of the Bible. David says this, the law of the Lord, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So four things, all four sentences he's talking about the Bible. He says the Bible is perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, as in like it's true or it's right, it's good, and it's radiant. And so what are the benefits for us? What's the benefits of getting in the Bible? I think these four things are awesome. So it refreshes our soul. Like it's just good for our soul. It's good for our lives. It refreshes us. Secondly, it makes us wise, right? It says for the naive. Thirdly, uh, giving joy to the heart. Like you get into the Bible, gives you joy. You might say makes you happy. You guys, I have never regretted a time when I spent time in God's word. And maybe you go, that's just you, Brad, because you're a pastor. I would imagine you're the same way. There's been plenty of days where I've regretted not getting in the word of God. But it gives joy to the heart. And finally, it gives light to the eyes, as in it shows you the path of truth. That the word of God is a lamp to our feet, right, and a light to our path, Psalm 119. But now here's the problem. The problem is you all know that you should read the Bible more. And I I didn't want to give another talk where the essence is just you should read the Bible more. Because... Well, you should, and why? Because it's good for you, and uh, in some sort of ways the Bible says to, and if you're a Christian, like, why not, right? We've all maybe heard talks like that. We, we've heard it's beneficial to us, um, but unfortunately, many of us probably don't, like I've said already, we don't experience it that way. Maybe. It doesn't feel beneficial to us, or maybe at times it does, and maybe if you hear somebody teach the Word of God, that sort of makes sense to you. But for whatever reason, you just aren't compelled to read it on your own. You never have been. You don't feel like you have time. Which, by the way, I was thinking, we always say, like, I'm just too busy for that. I'm just too busy for this. I'm too busy for that. I don't have time for certain things. Which really isn't a reason at all, right? We, we like, make things a priority in our life or we don't. We choose to do certain things or we don't. And we're always going to do something. So you're never too busy to the Bible. There, if we're honest, there's just reasons we don't want to. And we should be honest about those reasons. And so that's what I sort of want to get at. Um, but here's the thing I realized. Uh, it, you don't need another talk to me. You don't need to meet for me to be more creative or to tell you more places in the Bible that explain to you why you should read the Bible. I think the question is wrong. So I think the question is not for me to say to you, how can I get you to read the Bible more? The question I have for you is, how can I get you to value God more? I think at the root of this is, how can we start to value God more. If you're ever going to read the Bible, it's going to start with valuing God. It's going to start with you have to have the desire to want to know God. That God needs to be important to you. And until God's important to you, until you want to know him, you're never going to read the the Bible. So here's my question for you. Do you want to know God more? Do you want to know God more? And maybe you go, yeah, I do, and yet the Bible's still hard to understand. But when knowing God becomes important to you, when being close to him matters to you, the act of reading the Bible is simply the means by which you're going to get to know him, right? It's as simple as that. The reason most of us don't want to read the Bible is we're like, God's just not that important to us. Maybe we say he is, but in reality, we need to value God more. When you begin to value God, you'll value reading the Bible. 
Now, here's the other thing. I, I read a lot of student ministry articles every month. Um, I get a lot in my inbox. I seek a lot of them out. I reference a lot of student ministry blogs and websites, and I read a lot of, just a lot. I don't know how many, 30, 40. I read a lot probably every month. And I come across quite a few that um, are titled some like Five Steps to Better Bible Reading or How to Get Your Students to Read the Bible More. And the problem with most of these articles is that primarily, I would say 75% of the time, they are only practice-oriented. They're only talking about your practice and your performance. So the two things um, that they cover are techniques, like both study methods. What's the technique? What's the how-to? And then just behavior, that you should do this, and you need to pick a time and a place, right? Maybe you've heard talks like that. I've given talks like that. But that's about it. It's like that you just should do this, and so you need to get a Bible, and you need to pick a time and a place. And then um, we go, here's a real problem. Teenagers just don't know how to. But I start to go, you guys aren't that dumb. Um, most of the Bible, some of it's confusing, Revelation, other parts. Um, but most of the time, you could just read it firsthand and start to pick up on genre, that it's a prophet, that it's a narrative, that it's one of the Gospels, that it's a letter from Paul. You're bright, and I think you could fit that out. So, um, again, they're good articles many times, but I think they assume a faulty starting point. As I already said, they assume that students value God, that they find God important, that they want to know him more, and many students just don't. So we need to start with valuing God. But I've also learned this, that we cannot, that I and your small group leaders cannot start, I don't think, I just was, I mean, as I was studying and preparing for this this week, learning that we cannot primarily talk to you guys about reading the Bible um, in the form of making it a discipline or a habit. The problem is this, um, we've forgotten to read We've forgotten that reading the Bible is relational. That when you approach the Bible, if it's about knowing God, and it is, we've got to approach the Bible um, as, as approaching God with a relationship. But it's all about the relationship. And so again, um, habits are fine. But I don't think we should think of it primarily as a discipline. Here's what I mean. Um, I don't develop the discipline, quote unquote, of taking my kids out for a donut every Monday. I do that. In a lot of ways, it is a habit because every Monday before school, I flip-flop Chloe and Parker, and I think way back, Cecil Jones, I learned this from you, you took kids out on a daddy date on Saturdays, and, um, and I was like, I'm going to do that with my kids, so thanks, Cecil, and Kay's like, I reap the benefits of that. So we do that every Monday, and is it a habit? Yes, but I've never said, why are we doing this, Parker? Because it's a habit, right? Relationships just don't operate that way. That Leslie and I go on a date probably about once a month. And I try to be disciplined of that, right? But I would never say that to her because relationships just aren't, you know, you don't put them in the form of a, of a discipline or a habit. Why, why are we going out tonight? Well, honey, it's a habit. And um, you're my wife and you were supposed to, right? We just should. Um, relationships don't operate that way. And so uh, the point is the relationship. Again, that goes with the first thing. If you want to know God, you will value reading the Bible. And if you don't value reading the Bible now, you probably need to start by saying, do I value God? Do I want to know God? Here's, um, write this down if you're taking notes. The Bible is first and foremost a heart-driven, deeply personal, experiential encounter with the God of the universe. When you approach the Bible, when you, have, when you engage with the Bible, it's first and foremost a heart-driven, deeply personal, experiential encounter with the God of the universe. And we need to see it as that. So we go to the Bible to engage with God and to meet God and, and to get close with God. 
So before we ever worry about technique, we need to make the Bible read about feeding our relationship with the Father. Is that crystal clear? Last year, I said it like this. Last year, at the beginning of the the, uh, year in September, we did a series called Out of Focus. Maybe you remember that. And my main point was this. We study God's word to know God's truth. Like, yes, it's good to learn things, but that's not primarily it. And I hope you guys don't don't think that, which is maybe what you go, it's just about learning Bible knowledge? No. More than that, it's to know God, to have a deep, lasting, satisfied relationship with God. That is the main thing I want to get across to you guys tonight. Now, with the time we have left, um, I want to turn a corner a little bit, and I want to spend just a few minutes talking about approach. How do we approach the Bible? How do we approach the scriptures? Now, first of all, not not technique. So, um, for technique, I love these on-track devos, and we talk about these a lot, or we have started to again this year. For most of the school year, we've been doing the 365 reading, and maybe some of you are still doing that. Um, But we started putting these out again this October, and every month these are free, and we just print them off. And uh, this month it's on, um, for the month of October, it's in the book of Mark. But I have been, I just was thirsty for this. So I started doing this in connection, or like, uh, I still read 365, but every day. If you want to know basic Bible study techniques, um, there's like four quadrants in every one of these, and it's so simple. So it's just the basic observation, interpretation, application kind of stuff. And there's a passage for you to read every day, and I cannot recommend these highly enough. If you need a starting place, grab one of these. It's easy. It's laid out for you. It's a book that you can write in, and I write like a bullet for everyone, but I love it. Like, I love it. I look forward to this every morning. Um, So that's sort of technique. You guys can figure out technique. You're smart enough to know that. But approach, unfortunately, I honestly feel like many, many, many Christians today, um, most of the, we approach the Bible like it's a self-help book. So in in some ways, yes, the Bible helps you. If you need help, the the Bible, you will help yourself by reading. But it is not a self-help book. It is way more than that. Um, Again, it can be tremendously helpful. And again, there are many, many places in the Bible that if you just turn to it and start applying it to your life, it can prove helpful. You go to the book of Proverbs. You go to the book of James. Maybe many of you have started a Bible study or you've read the book of James. It's so practical. And so um, what we like to do is take this method. We like to go observation and then we skip this whole section called interpretation, like interpreting the Bible and how, you know, how it was just meant to be interpreted. What does it mean? And we skip that part, and a lot of times we go straight to application. So I read something, and I apply it to my life. So what I'm saying is there are plenty of of places where you can just do that because it was a letter that James wrote, or, you know, much of the New Testament is fairly straightforward, and it is beneficial for you to just apply that. Um, But there's other parts, the prophets, a lot of the Old Testament, um, parts of the New Testament, that uh, that really aren't meant for us to just read it and then apply it to ourselves. So... You have Abraham asked to sacrifice Isaac on this altar, and he begins to do this. And I open up my Bible, and I turn to that. And, and nobody would do this, but do we go, okay, so I'm just supposed to apply this. So am I, is God asking me to do this? Um, I open up the New Testament, and I don't know. You, I mean, people pick random things. And it's like you read that Judas went out and hanged himself. And you're like, what am I? Again, you, you realize that it's narrative, so you know you're not supposed to go out and hang yourself. But But there's this interpretation piece, and so our approach many times is faulty. Um, And uh, on top of that, 
the Bible's not at least primarily a book of morals. Now again, there's plenty of morals in the Bible. We get God's sort of picture of what's right and wrong. Certainly in the Old Testament, when we look at the Ten Commandments, God lays that out. But it's not primarily there. It's not primarily a book of ethics or a book of morals. Again, I'm not saying they're not there, um, but that's not the basic point of the Bible. Um, and so this is just a perspective, and this may even be, I don't know, some of you may think this is controversial, but I'm going to, at the end here, I want to show you two videos, and, um, but I'm going to start with this. Dr. Tim Keller says this, really think about this. I discovered this eight years ago or so, and this just sort of just shaped how I approach the Bible. He says, in the end, there's only two ways to read the Bible. Is it basically about me or basically about Jesus? In other words, is it basically about what I must do or basically about what he has done? Who is the Bible basically, fundamentally about? Now again, it's for us today. We're so, I'm so grateful we have the written word of God. It is for us to apply. Um, but again, we need to be careful about certain passages in the Bible. Is it really about Jesus or is it really about me? And is the Bible just a self-help book? And so I approach this like I do many other books that I read, and it gives me inspiration for the day, and, and I read it, and I go about my day. And again, a lot of that, it's fine. Um, so I want to turn, I want, I want to look at just a couple of passages of Scripture in Luke 24. So again, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 24, it's the last chapter in the Bible. And I love this because we get a, a brief glimpse into how Jesus himself approached the Bible. So Luke 24 Verse 13, we see this. So Jesus, right before this, is like risen from the dead. Um, it, was, it was Easter Sunday. They didn't call it that back then, but he like was dead for three days and he came back to life. And so verse 13, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking to each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. So Jesus is playing ignorant here, right? They don't know who he is. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So they're talking to Jesus about Jesus. And uh, they don't realize that. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And here's the first time in this chapter that he lays this out. We talked about this last year some. And beginning with Moses, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Old Testament scriptures, right? He, expl he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And he kept going, and they were like, hey, you should come along with us. And um, eventually, he basically just disappeared, I think, was here. And so skip down to verse 40. So suddenly, he appears to all of the disciples. Those two went and gathered up with the rest, and they told them the story. Hey, like, Jesus was walking with us, and we didn't know it was him, and it was crazy. And again, so verse 40, same chapter. He shows up to them. They think he's a ghost. 
uh, blah, blah, blah. He's like, touch me. All right, sorry. Verse 40. <laughs> when, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So he's not a ghost. Resurrected body, Jesus was dead. He came back to life, and he eats this fish. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. Here it is again. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about who? About Israel? About, about me, he says, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then check this out, verse 45. If there is a verse for this series we're doing, I love this verse, and you're already seeing it on the screens. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Like, God, if I only knew what some people got out of Bible reading and prayer. Like, if I only, God, is there a secret? Am I missing something? And here, after Jesus has died and has come back to life, he's with his disciples, and it says he opened their minds. I mean, think about it. So that they could understand the scriptures. He's referring to the Old Testament, because, again, this is in the New Testament. This was something that Luke was writing. He opened their minds so that they could understand it. Most likely referring to maybe the sentence that he just said. He must fulfill everything that is written about himself in the Old Testament. So what's going on here? What Jesus is saying, I think, he's saying that um, the whole Bible is about me. And the whole story of the whole Bible, it all points to Jesus, but it is fund fundamentally about Jesus and his re redemption of all creation. That, and I've said this before, that the entire Old Testament is building this tension that does not get resolved until Jesus comes in the New Testament. That the entire Old Testament is pointing forward to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in fact, you guys, the entire New Testament, besides the Gospels, is pointing back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That it all culminates in this climax that is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he's saying it all points to me.